Hey listeners, if you love Category Is, check out Desperately Seeking. In today's world, it can seem impossible to find your perfect match, and that's exactly the struggle that Jono is going through on his hilarious podcast, Desperately Seeking. Jono has never found a guy who wants to be his boyfriend, and he needs all the help he can get to learn what he's been doing wrong. Laugh, cringe, and feel all the feels each episode as he dates all the wrong guys trying to find Mr. Right. Download Desperately Seeking wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Justin. I'm Maurice, and you're listening to Category Is. What's up, Maurice? How you doing? I'm pretty good. How about you? I'm okay. Given yeah, the state of the world. Rough, it's been a rough week for everyone. Oh, it's been a hell of a week. It's just, yeah. it's been a hell of a fucking year. I'm tired. <laughs> Everyone's 2020. Tired. And it's been a mess. I know. It's just, what does June have in store? I hope June is kinder to us. Yeah, it probably won't be. <laughs> but it's Pride <laughs> Month. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but everybody's stuck at home. Right, something's brewing. Yeah, yeah. Did you do anything this weekend? Not really. Uh, just pretty much stayed in. There wasn't mm. much going on. Um, and then, well, we'll get to that later, but kind of had to stay home um, afterwards. So basically just watching TV. So I watched, right. I found this new show on Apple Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Trying. And... It's um, about this couple that live in Camden, um, in London, so Camden okay. Town, and so they, um, which is where Amy Winehouse is from, right? Oh, may she rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, rest in peace. You know, I love me some Amy. Yeah, and so they're from Camden, um, and they're trying to have a baby, but they ran out of money in their like IVF fund, and so mm-hmm. now they're thinking about adoption. Um, okay. It's, a, it's like a super cute show. It's a comedy, which I'm like happy for because I think just the the nature of like the you know fertility struggles and then like trying to have a baby and adoption that whole process is probably you need like, to make light of it. Yeah, it would be too, <laughs> it would be too much if it was a drama. Um, yeah, so I'm just glad it's a comedy and it's like British right. humor, so you know it's like really kind of quirky kind of dry and quirky yeah what's it called yeah. again it's called trying trying okay like trying sense. to have a baby yeah right right or, you know oh. couples are like we're trying mm-hmm. oh, yeah. you should always be trying honey <laughs> no you <sure>. <laughs> but yeah that's about it yeah what about you cool uh this weekend i just kind of luxuriated by the pool was working on my tan trying to get you know, bronze, you know, that's a part-time job. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, just getting, you know, getting drunk, drinking lots of um, hard seltzer, like a white girl by the pool. <laughs> no white girl. Stop. Stop. Well, like, you know, a woke white girl. But then I had, um, you know, some, some time with, uh, you know, someone that was nice. And return to work. You know, just back to working from home. I'm tired of working from home. It's just, I've had all I can take. Oh, sounds like you're not staying home, so. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) We'll just leave that there. Yeah, move Mm -hmm. on, next topic. What are we drinking Uh, this week? So this week, I'm just drinking a Stella Artois from Belgium. Ooh, look at the Belgian beer. Only because Yeah, I do. Sometimes. But only because um I was upstairs. I didn't feel like going back downstairs. (laughs) So we have the wine fridge up here. So we keep some beer and like different stuff in there. So Right. That's about I feel like making shit this week. I just got some leftover trulies from my uh pool lounging i like it it's light you know i'll be working out i'm not trying to drink a whole bunch of calories it, it gets the job done mm-hmm. besides mm-hmm. that i got shit to do after this so i can't be too lit 
No comment. <laughs> no comment is a comment, bitch. No comment is a comment. Yes. All right. Anyway. Let's get to our categories for the week. It's yes. time for category is. All right. What's the first category? <laughs> Unfortunately, um, the first category is a bit of a heavy one. Um, I know most of the country, and it was even popping off over in London. Um, was it? Yeah, the U.S. Embassy. Y'all don't even London. go here. It was in front of the U.S. Embassy in London. They were um, oh, okay. protesting out there. Um, but you know, the world is just really on edge, um, especially with the latest killing of um, George Floyd. And, right. you know, people had started um, uh, protesting. And we had two different protests going on here in Philly. One started, well, I think they both started off peacefully. Right. Because there was one kind of like more towards um, Center City, which is our downtown. And there was another one by the art museum. Mm-hmm. And um, so at, at some point in the day, um, so, like, actually, we were getting ready to, like, go for a bike ride. And so um, we're, like, you know, getting our stuff together. And then we kept hearing, like, these helicopters going. And then as we're, like, about to get to the door, we're, like, wait, why are, you know, why are these helicopters, like, just hovering right. um, over the city? And so we, like, turn on the news. And then we see, like, one of the police cars is on fire, like, right out, right in downtown. And then so we go to the roof deck and then we see like four helicopters kind of just like circling and then we see just plumes of smoke like just coming from the street and it was just you know it was kind of surreal sitting there like to watch it because it was like you know it was just weird it was just weird right and um it's just a lot going on like in the world and in the city so yeah it was so then like so we're sitting up there and we're watching i felt like cersei lannister in game of thrones when she was watching the city burn from the red keep but um so one fire would go out and then you would see like another like plume of smoke come from somewhere else and then like another Mm -hmm. plume of smoke come from somewhere else and um yeah it's just and then we're like following along on our phones with like the news updates and it was just right to see how which is going I mean, it, it's super scary i think that you know i was in the city in the safe place when it was all going down but like to see all the damage and destruction that was done made me really sad um i understand that people are hurt beyond belief it is hundreds of years of endured pain and one thing i can say that i'm really proud about this particular protest before it got violent and before the destruction of property was that there was a lot of allies that were out. Like a lot of the images and things that I saw was lots of, it wasn't just black people. And I think that that's good because I think that if we're going to have a movement forward that we need the support of our allies. So that was really reassuring and maybe happy to see. Mm-hmm. But then it was just like, you know, I understand that people are hurt and I understand that, you know, people have the right to assemble peacefully and to petition their government. But it's just, for me, it's just, I, I'm conflicted because as a black person in America, I'm hurt, I'm in pain. I feel helpless, I feel undervalued and <clears throat> discarded and uh, under attack as well. But it's just, I don't see like, protest has a purpose and I don't see what the purpose in this is. I feel like it's just disorganized. I feel like it's not organized around one idea or one demand or any petition or policy or so it's just like well what is all this going to be for so when the city's done burning when the businesses are done being looted when you know you got your cheesecakes well that's not factory, you know like where where do we go from here but uh, the looting and the protesting are two completely separate things they are and and i do recognize that the protesters are protesters were having the protest when people were having the protest it was fine like they right. marched, they had their signs, um, and it was very calm. At some point, it went left, 
and right. we'll get into kind of that a little bit later. Um, but the looting and the aftermath and the riot, like that's completely separate from protests. It is. So, I mean, I think that there will be some combination and conflating of the two, but I don't think that is appropriate. But, but you know, people will unfortunately see them as one and the same and they're not. Right, right. And that's my thing. I mean, I can separate and see that they're totally different, but I think that the American populace and most people are looking them, looking at it as one and the same. And that's totally not mm -hmm. the case because the protesters are protesting. The people who are looting and vandalizing are people who are opportunistic and they and they weren't there for the purposes right. of the protest. So that, that right. should be clear. Um but I don't ever want to, I was just worried because I don't ever want to see anybody, I don't want no more Black people to get hurt or to be in conflict with the police. Um, you know, I'm not out in those streets. I'm proud that people are, but I don't have the capacity, like the emotional capacity to do it. And I'm not. And um, yeah. we can talk about that more as well. But mm -hmm. it's just, I, I hope that, you know, there's still protesting going on in cities across America as we speak. But I just hope that it seems like this has just been the straw that broke the camel's back because black people have been getting killed at the hands of police on camera for years. And I just think that people can't, people are tired and something must be done. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm hopeful that something will get done, but we shall see. I hope people be. go vote tomorrow as well, but that's a whole nother topic. Not in, um, <laughs> not in, in person, I got my mail, I got um, my mail in by the did you, okay. um, but the thing, but so it rained that day that it that they, it got delivered. So the envelope you're supposed to send it in is like was completely um, sealed shut from the water from the rain. So I'm gonna have oh to like, take it to the to the um, place and just drop it off. So I hope right. people know that that is an option as well because um, yeah, I'll, I'm just gonna do that. Yeah, I can't mail it. They can collect it in my polling places. As well. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool, cool. All right. So speaking of another conflict that happened <laughs> recently, um, Forbes a much magazine, lighter conflicts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> much lighter. Um, so Forbes magazine, which um, you know is renowned financial and business um, publication, you know they released um, a few. Was it two years ago? They named Kylie Jenner the youngest self-made billionaire. And you know, it was just last year. Was it last year? I felt like it was two years mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. Okay, that well, was last year. So they named her the youngest self-made billionaire on the you know, um, as a result of her Kylie Cosmetics um, company being mm -hmm. um, a money maker, right? So they published. You know, she was on the cover articles, in-depth interviews, and she, but she's been featured on there like several times since then. So oh, wow. maybe, that's, maybe that's where I'm kind of um, mixing up. But so um, a few days ago, they released like this scathing article saying that they stripped her of her, it was very salacious in the wording. They stripped oh. her of her um, billionaire status that um, Kylie Jenner and the Car Jenner clan is, you know, a web of lies was like right. the headline too. And in the article, it was very lengthy, but web they basically, lies. yeah, they basically said that Kylie and her company and Chris basically did something funny with the numbers and the tax returns and they made it seem that the company was worth more or had made more than it actually did. And so when they appointed her as the youngest self-made or anointed her, I guess I should say, as the youngest self-made billionaire, that the numbers that they used were fake. Were fraudulent. Yeah. What a fraud. These Kardashians, man. I mean, who fucking really cares, right? The woman is rich beyond belief. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that. Didn't Kanye have some problems with the Forbes, like trying to get on their billionaire list? Yeah, so they... Um, they said he's only worth one point like three or one point six billion, but he says it's more than that. He says it's about three billion. But I think oh. the way that they do this, um, because I also watch Shark Tank. And <laughs> <laughs> and I love lot, Shark Tank. 
I used to like it, but then I stopped watching it because um, it used to, it started off like it was like a young startup company, like they had no money, you know, like the people right. would come with their, you know, their clever idea or their new invention and they would seek funding because they wanted to expand their company. Now it's people right. who come on there it's and they're like, businesses. yeah, we made, we sold $25 million worth of merchandise last year. Okay, well, why are you on TV then? Because you right. don't need our help. Um, no. And then it would always use the. You, you go to like any other venture capitalist, like you don't have to be here. Yeah. Yeah. And then it would always be like, um, like a young white girl. And then if she was like at the point where everyone was like, "I'm out, I'm out, I'm out," she would start crying. And then everyone was oh. like, "Oh my god, oh I'm so sorry." No, I'm back in. I'm gonna give you a deal. And she would like the white girl will always give the deal. And I think that's why I stopped. Then white woman tears put in work, exactly. baby. um but back to kyle it's just like the um the companies are they have valuations and you know some factors go into it like how much they sell just things go into like this valuation number and i think Mm -hmm. that the company was valued like it had the potential to make x amount of money and blah 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 so i think that is probably something that also went to their numbers not just like tax returns and and um revenue but at the end of the article they say well she's still worth well over 900 million million dollars but we're gonna take away her billionaire title so i think there's some kind of the way it was worded and the way everything was i think they were just trying to get some clicks and right you know you know get people slow news month well yeah (laughs) and then give people because you know people love them or they hate them and It's just, you know, let's put out this Web of Lies article and then now Forbes is gonna take off. Mm. Well, speaking of being taken off a list and getting put back on a list, <laughs> did you see the last episode of Insecure? I did, I did. Well, child, spoiler alert, it seems as though Issa and Lawrence are back on. Mm. I mean, what'd you take from that? I think that like, he wants her back. It was super cute, though. I mean, I've never, like, rendezvoused with an ex like that. I'm sure as hell didn't sleep with no ex after, like, we were broken up for a long time. It was just a really interesting episode because I was just like, oh, I wonder how I would do with this situation. I just, mm-hmm. And I don't think that I would. <laughs> well, so it was episode eight of this uh, season four. It was written by Natasha Rothwell, who is Kelly okay. on the show. Kelly. Um, from Philly. From, from Philly. And last week's episode was actually directed by the guy who plays Lawrence. So, you know, they're they getting, they getting a little check, extra check yes. every now and then. Um, but yeah, so the premise of the episode is like they're meeting up after Lawrence ran into Molly at the airport last week. Right. Um, and I was with the episode until they had sex. Me because too. All, all, all the way up until it, it was like, okay, we never, they because ne- they never did have that closure conversation. It was like, fuck you, fuck Sometimes you. Sometimes you don't gotta have it. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, but they have the same kind of circle of friends. So like their things overlap. And then right. um, they never had, I think they never they needed to have that conversation at some point, but they did. immediately after Lawrence and Condoleezza break up, like the timing was just bad. Um, yeah. Like immediately after the block party, um, Condoleezza kept blowing Lawrence's phone up. So I think, and then so then Lawrence had like that job interview <laughs> in San Francisco. So I think it's just like too much is going on, and they're trying to set them up to like end up back together right but right. condoleezza is pregnant that's this is my hypothesis that's what i'm about to say when did that happen <laughs> that's why i think okay. she's blowing his phone up because he's like okay, i gotta stop talking to condoleezza <laughs> <laughs> that's what i gotta talk to you tonight okay okay girls can't just wait until the morning uh um, right then when Issa hears him on the phone she's like she then she makes her move to try to sleep with Lawrence, and then uh-huh. just makes things messy. I think the episode should have ended with Issa walking out 
and kind of uh-huh. Lisa being right there. Oh, like at his door. Yeah, like, at the door. Yeah, that would have been really messy. You were good. You were a good writer. Yeah. Get you off from no, you know, messy drama. Exactly. <laughs> in other people's lives. I don't keep it in my own. But I mean, you used to have it in your life. This shit's been kind of late love these past few years. I've changed. <laughs> like you could do. He's reformed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah the I mess- mean, overall, the it was side of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, overall, I think it was a good episode. I I don't know if I like Lawrence and Issa together. What about you? I do because it just gave me the nostalgia. I was all okay. here for the nostalgia, and I also like that, like you know, at the time they broke up, you know, she cheated on him with um that ugly dude Daniel? that everybody thought was fine. Daniel, I don't, don't feature Daniel, yeah. But um, like since then, I think they've gone their separate ways. They both have grown a lot. Like you know, Lawrence is getting his career back on track. He's looking uh-huh. better to me. He's focused. Issa's getting her shit together, and it's just like, all right, you know what? Maybe they could like. I'm always hopeful that, you know, people, they were together for five years mm-hmm. and they went their separate ways, but they could come back. Like the lady in the cab was like, yeah, you know, the, the Uber driver was like, you know, <laughs> you better marry it. You better marry that person if they the one. Marriage would be the best thing. <laughs> and I was like, right. I, I do believe that. I don't, I don't know. I think maybe, I'm sorry, did I cut you off? I, no, I believe that for them. I don't believe that for me. Okay. But I do believe that for, for them. And I felt nostalgic because it was just nice to see them back together, that's all. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like they broke, when they broke up, or since they broke up, that they both, like you said, they grew, they evolved. And so now they feel like they're the perfect person they wanted when they were together. Like now, Lawrence got his stuff together. He's making moves, he's doing, you know, he's got his job. They had a very, very touching conversation. Um, at the right. dinner, but now it's like, okay, now you got your stuff together, and I wish you had it together when we were when we were in a relationship. But now let's get back together. So I, I think they That's definitely need some time apart and like go away for a whole season because we never got like a whole season away, you know, from the relationship. We never got like we didn't. That- I thought it was like two seasons ago they broke up. He was still around. Oh, I see what you're saying. So okay. now, yeah. So it's like if Condoleezza is is pregnant, if Lawrence gets this job in uh, San, San Francisco, Francisco, he had the interview. Um, maybe that'll be an opportunity to put some distance, distance, literal distance in between them, actual distance in between them. Um, but yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that needs to happen in order for it to be like more kind of real. Like, go away, figure your stuff out, get your stuff together, and then come back. Mm. Well, let's see if Issa wins Lauren's back, you know, wins her prize. I hope not. But (laughs) enough of that, and let's talk about a real winner, baby. The winner of season 12 of RuPaul's Drag Race. Did you watch the finale? Mm-mm. Okay, but the winner was I don't watch Jada. How are we friends, honestly? I don't know how. But the winner was Jada Essence All. Okay. I'm, ha- I'm happy she won. She's the Black queen from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She was fierce. She could paint for her life. She was just a classic traditional drag queen. Classic drag. Impeccable costumes, impeccable makeup, impeccable hair, she could perform. Uh-huh. I loved her. Was I rooting for her? I'll be honest, my number one pick was Gigi Good. But I ain't mad at Jada. I'm happy for her. She is well-deserved. But okay. I did want to see Gigi Good win. It was weird. And they did like the virtual reunion a la yeah. um, Real Housewives. Real Housewives. And it just, it just didn't have the same level of pageantry and over-the-topness. Mm. I mean, Rue Paul was like, Literally in like that ski mask. Face. What was that? Ski mask thing. about? Because RuPaul don't do uh, her own paint. Oh, so, okay. She's like, let me throw on this, uh, you know, uh, facial mask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just, it was so ridiculous. But I'm I'm happy for Jada Essential. She's gotten some hate because she's a black queen, and you know, the RuPaul's Drag Race fans are really evil. 
and just being like, oh, she only won because she's black and there hasn't been a black queen in a while. Meanwhile, the preceding queen was black, but y'all don't see us for Evie, oddly. I, but, feel, I don't. <laughs> I feel like I feel bad for whoever won the season because the scandal of the whole cherry pie thing kind of overshadowed right. the entire season. So it I surely did. I don't think they'll be mentioning Jada Essence Hall without mentioning cherry pie, which is unfortunate. And then doesn't All Stars start like in a couple days on Friday? Yeah. So right. Now they stagger them so much that you only really mm-hmm. get your shine like that. But I mean, I'm so happy. You know, I'm always looking for someone black. She got that check. She got the $100,000. So there you go. So congratulations, Miss Jada Essenthal. Um, I'm guessing due to the Rona, she won't be making her rounds at Pride celebrations this year because we all are still well, going to be locked in the nobody house. Nobody will, yeah. <laughs> the Rona is still very real out here in these streets. Um, I hope that the you know, protesters well, and stuff. They'll get their little Rona uh, checks because people out there with no masks. But, um, you know, we're two black gays. It's a black gay podcast. And I'm just, like, happy that it's finally Pride Month. Um, I'm sad my trip to Toronto was canceled. But, you know, health and safety. And there'll be other times. Right. Um, but I was just like, you know, how do you, cele- how do you celebrate Pride when you're stuck in the house? Especially because Pride is so much about sharing those kinds of parties. Being- Besides sex parties, it's oh. also about like <laughs> being at the club, right. being at the bar, being yeah. at the parade, being at, you know, dancing. It's a lot of mm-hmm. in-person celebration. Mm-hmm. And I came out, I was like, well, how can we celebrate Pride during the times of the Rona? And I was like, you yeah. know, decorate your home. That can make you feel more festive and fun. Maybe like... I feel like things are starting to lighten up. I know in like some states you can have like gatherings, like outdoor gatherings of twenty five. At least in New Jersey, you can. Yeah, less than twenty five. So like, like so have like a small gathering of friends. Uh-huh. Maybe if you feel like that, um, but you can have fun with it. Do like rainbow masks or something. You know, you could always make like fun outfits and costumes that you could wear on your little Zoom party. I know there's going to be lots of things. I'm yeah. Zooming out. I know Toronto. Toronto is doing um, virtual pride, which I don't. I still need the details on that, but I think it's going to be like Zoom-ish. It's going to be very Zoom-ish, and Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just not here for it. It's just not. It's just not. You can't replicate the same feeling, but at least it's something, right? Yeah, yeah. But you know, you can always also you know donate to your favorite LGBT charity or support LGBT artists and authors. Mm-hmm. This, this, I think we'll just have to get more creative about how we celebrate Pride. Pride yes. Yeah. yeah, because... Um, I think that's I think good. Yeah, I think it's more... This year is going to be more about getting down to, like, not just the frivolous party and day party and this party and, you know, it'll be more about the overall, or you know, support for the community. And you know, really right. creatively thinking about ways to um, to celebrate. It's a good thing that um, Stonewall Fifty already happened because <sighs> right? that would suck if it was. That would have been so year. fucked up. Yeah, mm-hmm. Stonewall it was last year. Mm-hmm. You know, and and last year I was prided out. I don't know why I thought I was going to go back this year, but yeah, I think I, I go, think it's good to kind of slow down. You would go yeah. up. Like, I would have gone to Toronto Pride again. I love Toronto Pride. No, Toronto Pride, that's the only Pride, like, that I would definitely... New York, yeah. I'm done. New York's a bit much. New York is too much. But Toronto Pride is nice. Mm-hmm. It's big, yeah. but it doesn't feel, like, doesn't feel out of control, yeah. Yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Plus, we like those edibles. So that takes us to our next um, part of our show. So we did an interview recently with St. Clair Dietrich, or the Dietrich, I always pronounce her name wrong, <laughs> Jules. Uh, she is a graduate of Brown University. She was inspired to create a photojournalism book um, titled Dear Chloe, Love Letters to My Little Sister. And it's about natural hair and making sure that young girls, women, 
feel comfortable and confident and empowered to wear their natural hair and be their true selves. So take a listen to our interview and we'll be right back. So right now we have St. Clair Dietrich Jules. She's an award-winning Afro-Caribbean filmmaker and photographer whose work focuses on immigrant justice, women's rights, and Black liberation. A DC native and a recent graduate of Brown University, St. Clair merges the worlds of academia and activism in her most recent work, Dear Chloe, Love Letters to My Little Sister, a photojournalism book, which explores the relationship between, oh, the relationship Black women have with their natural hair. Welcome to this show, St. Clair. Thank Welcome. you for having me. Thank <laughs> How are you? you? <laughs> no I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So just to start off, I'm a man. I'm bald. I have two brothers, um, no sisters. So the whole like hair thing, I have no frame of reference really. So like the first, I remember growing up, um, one of the first like main um, visualizations or representations I had about, you know, the whole conflict that women have with their hair is, um, you remember school days and the scene in school days with, um, the Jigaboos and the wannabes, they had this whole like, you know, good and bad hair musical moment. So that's got kind of like sticked out in my mind. So if you could talk to us a little bit more for our listeners who, um, you know, may not have the same reference or, you know, that, that you do, tell us more about natural hair and why this project was so important to you. Yeah, sure. I think that uh, that's really interesting and I'm glad you, you brought that up um, because I think sometimes like as a black woman, you know, we're so um, it's, it's just such a huge part of our everyday lives yeah. and especially for, for black women with, you know, um, like tighter curl patterns, especially, you know, um, and so sometimes it's hard to remember that not everybody has that same like frame of reference. Yeah. Um, but basically ever since, I mean, ever since uh, black people were brought to this country, hair has been one of the ways that uh, we've been controlled in this country. Mm -hmm. um, starting with, you know, forcing black women to cut their hair short, at, you know, when they were slaves. And, and um, there's also a really big part of history during slavery with black women using um, you know, doing certain hairstyles and certain braid patterns um, mm -hmm. to actually help uh, their fellow slaves escape and come up with plans. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a really deeply rooted history um, that I've learned more about also as I've been working on this current project. Um, but a huge part of our everyday lives Can you guys, oh, did it cut off for a second? Yeah, it froze for like just a second. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I was just saying that black women and, and sometimes men too um, are discriminated against, you know, at school, in the workplace, just in society for having natural hair. And so um, this book specifically that I'm working on is dedicated to my little sister who just turned seven and um yeah and she has a really uh she has a really beautiful afro um but she's very self-conscious about it and so i didn't want her to go through all of those years of self-hate that so many black women go through um especially black women with um tighter curl patterns like she has mm -hmm. and so i wanted to create something to show her that that you know her hair is is beautiful she doesn't beautiful. have to change it yeah 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 right. it's great yeah, that's awesome. Um, unlike Maurice, I have two younger sisters and um, they both have different hair textures. Um, but my youngest sister, her hair was a little bit of a, a tighter or kinkier coil. And she would like, you know, want to perm her hair. And she was a, a flat ironer in the closet. And she did feel some of that shame that you talked about your little sister having. But I remember both of them just growing up as young girls having a hard time in school because I guess that there was this notion of good hair, right? We have this idea of what good hair is in the black community. And as a, as a man, I think I, as a guy, I really didn't deal with that as much. But I remember for my sisters, it was a really hard thing when they were coming into their young womanhood and trying to make friends with other black women. And there was just this 
this hate um, based upon hair texture. And you alluded to a little bit about that given the history of black people in this country. But um, over the past 15 years, there's been the natural hair movement. Um, what growth have you seen amongst women of color in terms of appreciating different hair textures and in coming together as opposed to, you know, dividing ourselves? Which way? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I can't, you know, I obviously wasn't around during the first, uh, or, you know, during the natural hair movement in like the 60s and 70s, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, from what I've seen as I've, uh, like, grown older, and especially since I've started paying attention, since I started working on this project, even in the past few years, I've seen a lot more Black women embracing their natural hair, and also a lot of younger Black girls uh, embracing their natural hair as well. Like, the area where I live in D.C., there's a lot of uh, middle schools and high schools in the area, and so I'll see a lot of younger Black girls with uh, natural hair, and that's really beautiful to me, seeing that starting from a younger age, you know, they're already embracing their natural hair. I think that that's um, amazing and important. And I think, um, so I think we're, we're sort of getting more and more towards the place where we need to be in terms of true acceptance and true self-love. Um, and I think that in terms of like natural hair textures, um, the next step is making sure that we are embracing all natural hair textures because um, even within the natural hair movement even among black women you know there is this idea like you were saying your sisters have different curl patterns right so do me and and my sisters and I think that there is sort of like this hierarchy maybe of of a uh, natural hair types right. and so I think that especially black women with you know afros and um, tighter curl patterns really should be at the forefront of the of the movement you know people like my sister you know also really need to be seen so I think that's important Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned um, kind of the different, I guess, levels of, of curl patterns and things. Is there a divide in the sense of some people are super purist, like natural hair, no chemicals at all, like no color, you know, no kind of like anything in their hair. And then, you know, versus people who, well, I can still dye it or I can still, you know, do something to it, you know, locks or is having a weave considered, you know, <laughs> on a different <laughs> level, or micro braids, you know, or things like that. Um, do people kind of look at natural hair differently if you kind of subscribe to a different um, hairstyle within the natural hair movement? I think so. I think so. Uh, different people definitely have different ideas. That's something one of the women in my book talked about. She said, you mm -hmm. know, some people do have this idea that you can't um, that you can't even dye your hair, you know, and then that, that would make it not natural anymore. Mm -hmm. um, the way I see natural hair is more um, no chemicals that will alter your natural hair texture. Um, okay. So not so much color, but more, you know, my focus is more on texture. Okay. But um, it is interesting that you mentioned that because I know that some women do have different ideas of what it means to be natural. Like I remember um, there was this one woman and, and I asked her to be in my book and then she came with um, straightened hair. Um, to the photo shoot. To the photo shoot. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, uh. Yeah, I was like, oh no. Um, <laughs> and it looked beautiful, but I think, I mean, for her, that was still natural hair because uh, it was yeah. naturally the hair that, that grew out of her head. Um, so there's, I think there's yeah. definitely confusion okay. about that. And I'm not saying that like my definition is right or anything, but um, mm -hmm. There are a lot of different interpretations, but I think my emphasis is on, you know, keep, you know, the natural texture. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Um, <laughs> Sinclair, one of the things I discuss often with a lot of my friends um, who are Black women is natural hair in the workplace and whether it being professional. And I want to know um, if you talk to any of the subjects in your photojournalism book about that, because that seems to be the really touchy topic is, is my hair professional? Is it neat, tidy? Is it appropriate for the workplace? Will I succeed or will it like prevent me from getting a promotion? Uh, what were some of the women who were featured in your book saying regarding professional hair being natural and, and its acceptance in the workplace? Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of women talked about natural hair in the workplace. And, um, you know, this one woman said that her, you know, she had her, she worked in a, I think she said it was a catering place. And so, you know, working with food and she had her hair in a, 
in a bun, um, mm -hmm. which is obviously, you know, an appropriate style to be working with food up in a bun. And, mm -hmm. and her supervisor um, pulled her aside and said that that wasn't an appropriate hairstyle. Um, and so she decided to leave the job instead of, you know, manipulate her natural hair texture. Mm -hmm. um, no. But yeah, a lot of stories like that of, you know, and in my book and also just in, in general that I've heard a lot of black women's, you know, being really chastised by their coworkers or their employers for their hair texture. And there was one woman who um, was going to be in, in the book and she was going to do, she has a, a weave and she was going to do the big chop. Um, yeah. But, she, and then I was going to photograph her for my book. I was really excited, but um, she decided against it ultimately because she works for the federal government and she was worried that if she went natural, you know, she might not have the same benefits, you know, she was looking to get a promotion and so she was worried about that and it's mm -hmm. definitely, I mean, it's sad that that's something we have to think about because obviously our hair doesn't determine how well of an employee we are. <laughs> right. Right. Um, it's interesting because um, kind of going off of that, uh, some of my friends are doctors and lawyers and so the the doctors when they would have to go for their medical school interviews they would you know straighten their hair you know and so because they believe that it gave them you know like a more professional appearance or you know whatever kind of you know um message that is kind of ingrained in us and then you know once they got the job or once they got accepted into the position and they started there then they just you know did their their big chop and then went natural, full on natural again. So it's kind of interesting that you that you brought that up. So my question mm -hmm. for you, um, my next question is, um, in terms of beauty standards um, and natural hair. So in 2019 was a, a period where five of the major um, beauty competitions in the in the in the world basically um, were black women. So we had Miss Universe, Miss USA, Miss Teen USA, Miss America, and finally Miss World. Um, and three of those five women, when they were crowned, had a natural hairstyle. So in terms of, you know, that visibility, how do you think, or what kind of statement do you think that that made for, you know, like younger generations um, of girls seeing women um, win those competitions? I think it's, I think it's huge. I think it's, um... I mean, I think it's really important. I think it's really inspiring. Um, I mean, I do think beauty competitions and beauty pageants are, you know, kind of problematic in, in other ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I definitely, I mean, I definitely think, you know, a lot of girls, regardless, look up to these women as like the epitome of beauty, you know? And so for a little black girl to be able to see someone who looks like her represented, um, yeah. you know, on like a global platform like Miss the South, uh, South Africa, right? Yeah, yeah. I think one of them, yeah. Um, yeah to be able short. to look at Miss South Africa, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and see herself represented is such a beautiful thing, I think. So I, I yeah. was really happy about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, you know, you started this project, you say, to help your little sister kind of um, appreciate her hair and, and see its beauty. And um, could you tell us, like, when you set out to do this project, you had that main goal in mind, and what ha has the effect been for other women in terms of seeing representation of themselves, not only in a beauty queen, but also just the everyday black woman and how her hair can be beautiful? Um, you know, just tell us, you know, what's your belief is for, for the future of representation of black women and natural hair? I mean, I think a lot of it's, uh starts with us telling our own stories and so I think one thing that uh, I'm happy about my book and I think I got a lot out of the process of, of working on it um, is that I just got to really sit down and have those conversations with black women and sometimes it just so happened that I would interview two or three black women at a time um, and we would just have like these really interesting conversations about mm -hmm. blackness and womanhood and even even moving past hair you know just things that you know happen as black women every day um, and so I think opening a space for those conversations is, or having a space for those conversations is really important. And so I think, you know, for my, for my book, I, I wanted to be obviously for little black girls, you know, to see themselves represented, but also for black women of all ages, um, to really help start some of, or I mean, those conversations are already happening, obviously, but to help, I guess, continue, um, those conversations. And I really hope that, this natural hair movement stays. Um, I hope that 
you know, I mean, I, I have hope like with the, you know, with the crown act being passed in so many States, that's really great news. Right. Um, and so I, I, with the crown act is, they might not be um, familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, <laughs> the crown act and I actually, I, this is awful. I forget what it stands for. Um, <laughs> but, um, basically it, uh, prevents, it makes it illegal to discriminate against um, people with Afrocentric hairstyles um, in the workplace, at school, right. or other public places. Um, and so that's been passed. It was first passed in California, then New York and New Jersey, and it's being considered in a ton of other states right now as well. Um, and so that's a really huge step um, just from the legal point of view, which is crazy that we need a law, but... Um, right but it's great to have some sort of uh, concrete things that if someone is discriminated against for her or his natural hair, you know, they can take legal action against it, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. So, well, thank you so much for, you know, coming on. Um, oh, you have another question, Maurice? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so um, when you were interviewing the women for, for your book. Um, I know a lot of my female friends say that when they get their first perm, like that's a big rite of passage kind of in the black mm -hmm. community. Um, what kind of common themes or kind of common feelings did the women in the book have, if, if any of them spoke about that? About their perms? Yeah, like their, like their first perm and like, was it a traumatic experience or like, you know, what kind of stories did yeah. they have around that? Um, and some of them have gotten perms, some of them had gotten perms starting when they were really young, you know, four or five years old. Um, wow. And so some of them hadn't even, you know, when they finally decided to go natural, they said it was really the first time that they can remember in their lives seeing their natural hair. Um, yeah. So some of them had gone their whole lives since they were a toddler and never mm -hmm. knew what their natural hair looked like. Um, you know, some of the women in my book said that when they first got there, you know, when they got their first perm, it was a moment of feeling really beautiful um, for the first time, you know, to have like these, to fit into like these Eurocentric ideals of, of beauty right. um, that, you know, that they thought of as the epitome of beauty at the time. Um, and for some women, it was traumatic also. And some of them have said, you know, I don't know why my mom did that to me, you know, she probably just thought she was doing what was, what was right at the time or what was easiest at the time to make my hair quote unquote more manageable without realizing the, the effects that it would have on me. Yeah. Great. Awesome. So um, could you just tell us like, you know, um, without giving anything away that you might be working on, where do you see the future of your work in the natural hair space? Like, what else would you like to do? What other projects and things do you envision are coming forth in the future? That's a good question. Um, I think I think it would be really cool um, to sort of explore the history of natural hair. And the woman who wrote the foreword, um, Dr. Afia Ambili Shaka, for, for my book, Dear Chloe, she actually um, talked about the history of black hair a little bit. Um, and so I would really like to do a project. Uh, obviously, things are sort of, you know, it's kind of hard to travel right now. But eventually, um, I would like to go to communities where they still hold sort of like these natural hair rituals and they have sort of those, I guess, natural hair secrets that have been lost coming to America. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'll see these photos or I'll, or I'll read about these um, communities in Africa where they just have like these really, really amazing natural hair styles and they'll do really cool things with braids and they have, you know, just all these really cool um, stories about natural hair. And so I think it would be cool if I could get the funding and if coronavirus ends to uh, <laughs> go and um, yeah and really explore the roots of the roots of natural hair yeah awesome St. Awesome. So Clair thank you so much um, for joining us the book is called Dear Chloe Love Letters to My Little Sister if you could um, tell our listeners where they can find you on social media or your website or anything yeah, so um, you can go to www.dearchloe.com, so D-E-A-R-K-H-L-O-E.com, um, and then I also have an Instagram where I post uh, photos of Black women with natural hair, some in the book and also other Black women as well, um, mm -hmm. 
at dear underscore Chloe, again, K-H-L-O-E. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, St. Clair. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> thank you. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed the interview with St. Clair Dietrich Jones. <laughs> Dietrich Jules. Jules. Um, I thought it was really, really a cool interview. I think mm -hmm. that from the perspective of two Black gay men, um, one who was bald, one who was receding, yeah. <laughs> talking about <laughs> hair. Uh, black hair was really, really um, interesting and cool mm -hmm. and it gave a new perspective. I know a lot of our listeners are women that are natural, and I think that I hope you guys really enjoyed it. You guys can um, find all of um, Sinclair's stuff on Instagram at Dear Chloe and also on her website at DearChloe.com. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good interview. It was good to, um, because uh natural hair is you know i wouldn't say it's coming back but it's you know it's, it's been having back. A bigger yeah it's having a bigger impact and with um like hair love won the the oscar for best um animated short um right. there's just been so much more visibility with it yeah lately so rock your natural hair yes that's awesome yeah that was good all right, guys, well, time for the next segment of the show. It is I Said What I Said. You want to go first, Maurice? Yeah. So, okay. you know, in, the, in this um, time that we are in now and just everything that's been going on, I know people want to post on social media and they want to feel a part of and a connection to the movement that's going on. Um, surrounding, you know, police brutality and killings of black black people and <laughs> just everything that's going on. Um, however, don't put a hashtag about George Floyd in your thought pics. Like, don't put. <laughs> I saw this picture and this girl was like. She had these lopsided boobs. She was like in the beach, like in the water, talking about how she needs a vacation from all the stuff that's going on in the world. And she put the hashtag about George Floyd. And it's just like, right. what Girl. does one have to do with the other? Like that was such a reach and it was just so inappropriate. And I just would really wish- this was sexual. Would, Exactly. Disrespectful. I just really pe wish people would respect like what those families are going through and how just disrespectful it is to try to include yourself in that. So mm -hmm. just be more mindful, be more cognizant, be more just aware of what you're putting out there and what you're tagging yourself on. And I said what I said. Mine's is similar to yours, but a little different, but it's in okay. the same vein of like um, clicktivism or, you know, Twittervism or, you know, whoever's a Twittervist or whatever. And I get the power of social media that you can have a large reach and you can create awareness about issues mm -hmm. that are happening in the world. Um, but I also feel like it has a silencing effect because it's not a good medium to have a meaningful dialogue. Um, I have posted a few stories on Instagram related to this entire incident because I do care, but I, I haven't felt comfortable to share my full opinion because of cancel culture. And I also don't think that it's, that it would be worth my breath or my typed words because I, I don't find that in times like these, and these kind of a heated climate that you can have any meaningful dialogue. People are angry and I get that. But I think that for me, there's been an over-sharing, like Maurice said, or almost an over-awareness. And I think that I've been under, you know, a lot of stress is day by day with Corona. Corona is still exists, it's still out here. And I think that adding this on top for me has caused another level of distress because it's all on the news 24-7. My, my phone is everywhere on social media. And I, as a Black person, I feel that obligation to be informed and to know what's happening and know what's going on. But at the same time, it makes me fucking weary. I'm tired. 
and I don't want to read about it. And I do need to escape to protect my own mental health and my own sanity. And, you know, so I did take a couple of days. I just went off social media, but then people are sending me everything. And it's just like, you try to say like, hey, I don't want to see this. And even you voicing have to that, say that sometimes. And I have said that to some people like, hey, please don't send me anything else. And they're just like, well, why? What's wrong with you? And it's just like, it's too much. They're like, well, you need to know what's going on. It's just, for me personally, I, I, I know what's going on and it's just too much for me to handle. I think that people need to respect that oversharing and creating this over-awareness. If you can, I can read an article, I can turn on the news and get the information I need to get. I don't need to be a part of this 24-hour news cycle and then a part of the 24-hour social media cycle that's re-perpetuating all this information. And a lot of it is like misinformation. Like people have sent me fake articles about them letting animals out of the Chicago Zoo. People have sent me like a lot of just misinformation. And it's just, it, it, it's, it, it's called, I found it was causing me more damage. But then when I even voice that, hey, I don't want to see this shit, and people feel like it's a problem. And I, I just wanted to create a space where, like, as Black people, it's okay to say, you know what? I'm turning off the TV, turning off the news. Don't send me no more of this shit today, please. And I said what I said. Yeah, I just think you have to say that. And I, I think you have to make a firm stance on that because I have had similar situations with my friends years ago, like once, you know, social media and stuff started popping off and people feel like, it's their duty to proliferate it. And right. one thing I kept seeing over the weekend was that people were given like play-by-plays and, you know, uploading videos like they were actually there. And so there was one thing I saw on Twitter and I'm like looking at it, I'm like, wow, they must like really be there. But that person was in like Arizona. And I'm right. like, how are you giving this live play-by-play or you feel like it's your place to give this up to the minute reporting and you're so far removed from what's going on in downtown philly yeah you're acting like your desire right to be like relevant or to like Mm -hmm. be engaged or to or or they want to center themselves like that girl that you were talking about in Mm -hmm. in in this narrative and it's just like this movement movements are not about self-aggrandizement it's not about centering yourself it's about making a meaningful like contribution right and it yeah that's all i have to say on that yeah people just need to do better right okay let's get to our final segment of the show it's time for tens 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 across tens across the board yes you want me to go first yeah go ahead okay so i feel like my ten is going to be controversial even in this time um but my heart aches for George Floyd's family. My heart aches for the collective of Black America and how we individually are experiencing this time. I think that we're all experiencing it um, with some collective consciousness, but I also think that we're all experiencing, experiencing it uniquely because the Black experience is not a monolith. But I think about, I try to look at things from all sides and I, really do want to give tens to the police who are committed to anti-racism, the police who are committed towards peacefully maintaining order, the police who, a lot of police are Black, who are there allowing people to engage in their First Amendment right to uh, gather and assemble peacefully. And I think that, you know, I was even nervous about giving this tens because I feel like where the a lot of the communication a lot of the words is f the police and we need to abolish police forces and i truly don't believe that that's the case the police protect us and they're necessary and we need them and i'm thinking about the police who are really stuck between a rock and a hard place about black police who have black friends and worried about them just as well but are here trying to protect your rights to protest it is really complex and it can't be similar down to something so simple as all police are pigs i really don't support that at all I think the police are necessary. I respect what they do. You know, just like there's there's looters and there's protesters, there's good police and there's bad police. And I think that we really have to focus that conversation here and not forget that. Um, because I feel like they're getting painted with a, with a broad brush. And I, tr- I personally do not believe that or subscribe to it. So, um, you know, I'm giving tends to, you know, people who are out there protecting their rights and trying to push the 
movement of Black Lives Matter forward and, and equality for Black people and to stop police brutality, but I'm also supporting the police who are allowing this um, to happen in a safe way when and where it has happened. So tends to the police who are committed to anti-racism. Yeah, and I think that is the majority of, of police officers. Uh, my mom was a police officer for close to 30 years. Um, so when situations like this happen, I and my brothers always feel conflicted because right. the job of the police isn't is not to go out and kill a man for some minor alleged infraction. That's not the job of the police. But right. day in, day out, their job is to protect the the community, serve the community. And their job is hard, like very, very hard. Like imagine going to work every day knowing that somebody could kill you or that right. somebody is going to display the worst of human nature and direct that at you. Like you see, or they see the, the worst in people every single day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's unfair and it only takes like that one situation where everyone is once again you know acting like the every police officer is bad which is not true you know yes there are people like the ones who killed george floyd but the vast majority of them are not like that and right. you know it's just they have you know it's like they have families too like i remember when i was growing up and it was just and anyway, I live in a small town. Like it wasn't like this major March <laughs> metropolitan area. It was a small community, small, small town, about three, four thousand people. But as a kid, knowing that my mom's a police officer, there were times I couldn't even go to sleep until I heard her keys at the door. Or, you know, I'm just had this level of anxiety like today could be the day my mom doesn't come home at night, you know, and it just is sad and it's upsetting and it's frustrating. I know people are like hurting right now, but you can't take that out on an entire occupation because there's good police, there's some bad police, there's great doctors, there's some bad doctors, there's a good dentist, there's some not so good dentists. So, I mean, it just, right, you know, it's just, I don't understand people want to be, want to express their frustration and their anger, but don't direct it at the at the police in Philadelphia when they had nothing to do with what happened in Minnesota. Right. And I mean, and it, it gets complex. I'm sure they're doing these protesters, but may have been police in Philadelphia who are not acting above board. You know, like every police force is going to be bad police, but we need mm -hmm. to focus on the goal here and keep the goal of, and not let, you know, George Floyd and all the countless other black men and women um, who have died at the hands of police be in vain we need to stay focused and be like you know we need to have better systems for training better um you know systems for discipline and reporting of cases and mm -hmm. you know um dealing with implicit bias and things like that because that's what will help make long-term systemic change so that's what i'm committed to but the police are are necessary and i do respect the majority of them who are in this location and this calling for the right reasons right um, so kind of piggybacking off of that, my tens is going to the people who were peacefully protesting um, throughout the weekend and continually through, uh, through this week um, throughout the country. Um, it started off, you know, positively and it could have, you know, ended positively. But some, at some point, something happened. There were a lot of anarchists who were not um who were not black or not minorities who mm -hmm. showed up completely covered up gloves long sleeve shirts hoodies those like ski masks goggles dressed in all black and they were just fucking shit up like yeah starting like showing up with hammers like spray paint like Okay, if you came to peacefully protest, why do you have spray paint? Exactly. Why did you come with hammers? 
you know, why did you come with crowbars and like, I don't know how they set these cars on fire so fast. I, I'll never. I had lighter fluid out. and right. they came fully prepared to make <laughs> right. a mess. But you know, protests can be peaceful. Martin Luther King got arrested what twenty nine times for peacefully protesting. So it can be done. Um, but like again, a small minority of people want to set shit off and start something bad and don't want to, you know, to see things peacefully happen. So tends for everyone who was keeping it peaceful and wasn't out there like looting and setting the city on fire because ultimately it only sets the movement that much further back. So right, right. That's all I got for today. It has been a heavy week, my friend. Yeah. I hope that um, you know, all of our listeners take some time to tend to your spirit and your soul and take care of yourself and your mental and emotional well-being. Um, if you got to do like I did and just turn off the social media and turn off the news, do it and don't feel bad about it. Right. Okay. And, and check on to your our black show, you know, yeah, and check on your black friends. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us at another episode of Category Is. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Category Is. Be sure to like, rate, and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on all things social media at Category Is Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can contact us at CategoryIsPod at gmail.com. Check us out on the web at CategoryIsPod.com.